Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alvstad, and featuring 12thManRising.com editor and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hello, Seahawks fans. This is the Hawks Playbook Podcast, Episode 7. Um, and today we're doing a uh, podcast that uh, definitely is focused on the draft and what the Seahawks draft needs and priorities are. I'm your host, Bill Alvstead. I'm here with Keith Myers. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So how do we differentiate this podcast from next week's podcast right before the draft? What are we going to focus on today? Well, today's podcast, we're going to talk mostly about uh, what the Seahawks need to do. And then next week's podcast, we're going to focus in on some prospects to watch, some people that are on the Seahawks radar, and just kind of give people a preview of what to watch for and say, hey, this is someone that the Seahawks are interested in. Oh, no, they just got drafted by the Saints. So, um, you know, kind of <laughs> focus in on the, on the individual players, where this time we're focusing more on what the Seahawks need in general. And we'll certainly talk about players today, but uh, next week we'll be more in-depth on exactly which players we think will fit best in Seattle's scheme. Today is more about Seattle's draft needs and priorities going into the draft, uh, coming out of free agency. Uh, obviously, we tightened up the ship on, a, on uh, quite a few different positions. Let's talk about that briefly so we know exactly where we stand. Um, so we'll do a quick kind of free agency player review. Who did they get? Who did they re-sign? Uh, starting with uh, uh, Jokel at left tackle, uh, Abushi at right guard. Those are the two big gets on the uh, offensive line. Do you have anything to, to say about those guys and if it tightened up the, the position group at all? Well, it does because what it does is it gives the, the Seahawks um, basically massive upgrades over Soul and Webb, who were the, you know, the guys they brought in last year for depth. And by the way, too, uh, I forgot to mention, Gilliam did sign his offer sheet with San Francisco, and he is leaving. Seattle did not match that. Yes. And so what you have is a situation where the Seahawks, um, on that offensive line, they're, they're still in flux. They're, these are two guys that are probably going to be starters that are on one-year deals. They lost a starter in Gilliam. So the offensive line is still in flux. They're still working on it, but they got in a position this year where they needed an upgrade. They needed players. And as we'll get into uh, later, this is a bad draft to need offensive linemen. So instead of uh, going in and having to really reach for players that aren't really good enough for that draft spot. Uh, they went and signed a couple of veterans who they know can start and they know can play. And, so they just kind of stabilized that yeah. that group heading into the draft so that they didn't have to reach. Yep. And so and then it, basically what they did is they, they hopefully got an improvement. They got some better uh, players and they just kicked the offensive line pro- problem uh, down the road a season. And so a year from now, once you've got guys like Effetti and Glowinski with a little bit more experience, you've locked up Justin Britt long-term. Now Possibly they can go, Fant too. Yeah. And, and we don't know what's going to, whether he's going to continue to develop or whatever they can, they're going to kick the problem down the road a year and then, you know, readdress it next year when the draft is is hopefully not so just barren in terms of offensive line talent. If uh, Keith, could you briefly talk, maybe just a minute or so, about the Seahawks' philosophy on their offensive line? I think a lot of uh, Seahawks fans are confused. I'm a little confused. I'm sure you're probably just a little confused as well as to why they are so hesitant to spend money um, on that position group. Um, given the state of the offensive line and uh, kind of where the offensive line is compared to other position groups and what other teams like to do. Well, I got to say that I don't agree with what they do because for Seattle, I mean, you invest $20 million a year in a quarterback, you should protect him and and put an offensive line in front of him. Uh, But the Seahawks don't do that. And it's, it's not as much by design as some people would, would make you want to believe because they have gone after high-priced free agents the last two off-seasons. Um, Alex Mack a year ago, and this year it was uh, uh, the guy from Green Bay. 
I know. I'm totally losing it myself. And I just totally, um, yeah, I just, I'm misplacing the name in my head. It's but, okay. It's okay. Um, they go, they're going after these high-priced guys and not being able to, to bring them in because they're choosing to play elsewhere. And so Well, and they're just the coming up short with the money, too. I mean, honestly, other teams are willing to outspend them, even if it's just by a, a million bucks. That's enough for a player to flip and, and go to another team. And Seattle just philosoph- uh, philosophically just won't move off mm-hmm. of what they want to do, which I commend them for. And quite frankly... They do, they they do win with this philosophy. Um, yeah. I'd like to see them protect Wilson a little bit more, obviously, but at the same time, uh, given the uh, other spending priorities on the on the team, primarily on the defense, you can't argue with a with a winning philosophy. Ten games, um, and five playoffs in a row, and all that kind of stuff. Two Super Bowls, one win, a yard away from another win. It's hard to argue with that. Agreed. And so you end up with a situation where they they look at it. And one of the big things that, that I, I see is that they don't want to overspend for average talent. They don't want to pay an average player an elite salary. Uh, and so that's what happened with guys like Russell Akung a year ago, where they just simply did not want to overpay him. And they were... What they're hoping for is they can find a replacement who will be as good but at a lower number uh, cap-wise. And they just haven't been able to draft and develop these low-round picks into those into those guys. So that's kind of where they're kind of stuck right now. If they had better player development, then this whole philosophy would have worked much in a much more smooth uh, nature than it has so far. So as we move forward with uh, the other players on uh, the uh, free agency tracker for the Seahawks, I've got Luke Wilson, who signed another one-year deal. So that kind of tightens up that tight end position for at least this year. Again, one of those kick-the-cans-down-the-road things because um, they only signed him for a one-year deal. Graham's coming up uh, in a year, I, I believe, as well. So their uh, tight end class might have uh, an infusion of talent in this draft. We'll find out. They signed Dion Jordan as an edge guy, probably a, a linebacker role, outside linebacker role as well. Um, they signed uh, this kid, uh, Cyril Grayson, as a wide receiver, kind of a speedster track guy. Not sure where if he's going to fit in or not or just compete on the kind of a speed wide receiver position. Uh, they really tightened up their uh, their linebacker core, so we can talk about that briefly for a minute. Uh, Terrence Garvin, more of a special teams guy probably. They uh, re-signed Dewey McDonald, who was on their practice squad for a little while. Um, Michael w- uh, Wilhoit, uh, probably one of the larger names on the linebacking um, free agent signings. Um, and Arthur Brown, linebacker. So they really brought in some competition. Yeah, and you can also put Deion Jordan in that spot because he'll be in the um, in the mix for the Sam linebacker uh, position if he keeps his act together. And so if there's one place so, in the in the draft we may have really kind of tightened the ship on uh, and eliminating a need for a, a draft pick, that might have been it. Although I do believe they they still would look at a talent that drops to them or somebody they really fall in love with, a young guy that can come in. Most of those guys, I believe, were just one-year deals. Am I am I right? Or all wrong? of them. All of okay. them were one-year deals. So, so, so we really, you know, the draft is still wide open there. Yeah, I mean, and what it what you have is a situation where they knew they needed to uh, com- basically completely reload the position, with the exception of Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright, and that's what they did. They uh, they they refilled that position group with a bunch of new athletes and a bunch of new players who can play and. If they if that's the group they go with next year, they'll be happy with it. If they can add someone, a young player with talent that's under team control for four years, they'll do so. But they don't have that need where they have to go get it this year. Uh, they don't have to go find a starter or have to find a playmaker because they've got, uh, you know, they've got the roster full. Yeah, and well, and I think I and if you add the safeties uh, that uh, Bradley McDougald that they signed, they also got back uh, Shad again. I don't know if he's going to be ready. Nico Thorpe, um, 
They brought back Tremaine Pope and so forth. I kind of like what they did for special teams. Seattle's one of those teams that really pays attention to their special teams and wants that unit to be one of their three-headed monsters, offense, defense, special teams. And um, so when you brought in all those linebackers, those athletic-type guys uh, that can really headhunt going down the field on special teams, I think that make, makes that unit stronger. Yeah, and the the the, the name in the, of that list that – excited me the most about the special teams was Nico Tharp because that kid was excellent as a gunner, both on punts and on kick returns. He was always the first one down the field. He made play after play after play on special teams. He, like he was a pro bowl caliber special teams player, even though he didn't actually get that honor, but he, he was that good. And so for the Seahawks to get him back, it's going to be huge next season for them. So that kind of sets up the, the Seahawks roster. We all, uh, our listeners, know how the rest of the roster looks. Um, we appear to be fairly set across the board on most positions. We, we do have a few question marks uh, going into the draft, and that's where we're going to get into uh, Seattle's draft needs and priorities. What does Seattle need to come out of the draft with? That's kind of what we're going to focus on. Both Keith and I have kind of set up uh, a list of priority draft needs as well as secondary draft needs that they may address but uh also might skip out on completely and and that would be okay given the uh the way the roster is currently set up so what i did uh first in my first priority is i had a need for a starting caliber cornerback and the reason for that was um the situation with richard sherman although i don't believe that he's going to be moving uh this year you can't rule out the possibility until the draft uh, goes by, and uh, he's under contract for a couple more years. Uh, they would be in a better position even to move him next year, where his guaranteed money um, after next year drops to $2 million. Um, so the dead, dead money is not an issue on the books at all for him, and um, also Shed being uh, injured and looks like he may not be able to start the season for the for the Hawks. They need a number two guy. I'm not sure how comfortable they are with Lane moving over to the outside, um, which would then precipitate a need for um, kind of a nickel corner uh, to come in. So I'm kind of uncomfortable with the group heading into the draft. Yeah, I, I totally get you. Um, cornerback's actually uh, the number two my number two um, priority and obviously I mean you're, for you it's the, it's the top part for me it's number two so this is clearly something the Seahawks have to get done um, in our mock draft episode last week uh, I selected two corners in the first three rounds I think you had three corners in the first three rounds right. which gives you an idea of just how important that that position is uh, it is also a very very deep position overall and there are a lot of really good corners in this particular draft class so that would, and that that led into me not putting it at the top of my list because they don't have to go use their first round pick on a guy if they only if if they feel like they only need one corner uh, out of this draft they can wait till round 2 or maybe even wait till the early parts of round 3 and still get a guy capable of starting because of the nature of this individual draft class so that was I think you're right. Why it was the second one. But at the same time, it's the one position on the roster where they have to get a guy capable of starting in year one. And that is, you know, I can totally see why you said that's your number one priority for that reason alone. They have to get a guy who can play and start in year one. So, and even if that is uh, a nickel corner and I, I, I know for a fact they can come out of the draft with a starting nickel corner, um, all they got to do is spend one pick out of the first in the first three rounds, and they've got their nickel corner. That's how good the the cornerback um, group is this year in the draft. Mm-hmm. At least that's my opinion. Yep. So my top overall priority, I went in a completely different direction, uh, and I said offensive tackle. And the reason why I put this as my number one was entirely because of how barren the roster is currently at offensive tackle. You've got Fant, who is a basketball player trying to convert and made some of that conversion last year, but still did not play well. You've got Luke Jokel on a one-year deal who coming over from Jacksonville, where he was a major disappointment. 
And then you've got a bunch of guys that the Seahawks actually drafted as guards, and they're hoping well, one you've of them got can make Odiambo, a right? Yeah, but he they drafted him, and then with, originally they said, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna try him at at guard," and he played both guard and tackle. He's kind of that swing player. Uh, and then you know Jermaine uh, Fetty, who they drafted as a tackle, but were moved him to guard within 24 hours of the and draft. They, and they just let Gilliam so. go, who started 30 games at right tackle in the last two years. Yeah, exactly. So you have uh, they just don't have one now. I think that that they're the nature of this draft class is that they are not going to they're not going to get a starter unless someone like uh, Ryan Ramsey or Garrett Bowles drops to them, and I don't think they will. Uh, you're not going to get a starter for year one, and so you're looking at trying to find a guy that you can put on the roster, get to learn the zone blocking scheme develop into a player so that he's a starter mid-season if somebody gets hurt or next year. Um, Keith, I have to tell you, going into this year, it it scares the crap out of me. Um, Just one injury can decimate this offensive line. I mean, and and to have the Seahawks go into the season in that sort of position is, again, infuriating to me because they've done it in the last couple years. I mean, if you take a look at Jokel, I mean, if his knee tweaks just at all, that totally completely ruins their plan for the offensive line because right now they they don't really have I mean they've got Fant I mean you could put Fant back over there and you've got Abushi at right uh, guard and uh, Afedi at right tackle but beyond that I mean if anybody else gets a turf toe or anything it it could just completely make the offensive line unworkable this year yeah because what happens what what happens if if uh, Glow or um, Brit get hurt on the on the interior. I mean, what do you do with that? There's there, there's just not a lot of depth, and that's part of the reason why I put offensive tackle so high yeah. here. Is and and you know you run the risk of I'm going to go in and I'm going to draft um, a guy like um, Moten in the second round who is not going to be ready and not going to play um, right away. Because we're so desperately in need of rostering a talented player. And then by doing so, you miss out on a guy like uh, Aleka Witherspoon at cornerback or yeah. uh, Bowser, the linebacker out of Houston, who could come in and start and play day one. So you're you're basically buying a 2018 player uh and selling a 2017 player. So there's a risk there, but the offensive line is just so barren. I, they have to add a player. At some point, they have to add someone who's capable of becoming a, uh, I, an NFL starter. I almost feel like unless they trade Richard Sherman for a, a lower, for a, a high first round pick somewhere in the, say, the 10 to 15 range, um, I honestly don't see him picking a at least a tackle until round three, four and, and call it a project and so forth, because I just don't believe that the tackle class is, is good enough to give up. Like you said, other prospects that have way higher draft grades um, across the board. Uh, They may end up picking up a guard thinking that at least they've got uh, a, a guard on the roster, possibly somebody that could play tackle in a pinch um, and, and there are a few more of those in the draft than tackle, but at the same time, it's just not a position group of strength overall. Yeah, I agree. So I, next I had, uh, uh, outside linebacker, um, and you could actually kind of combine edge rusher outside linebacker, uh, together because of the scheme, uh, that Seattle runs and, and, um, we had a conversation yesterday about that a little bit. Maybe you could elaborate on that for our listeners as to what Seattle is looking for in a edge slash strong side linebacker uh, that makes our uh, position group on the team a little different. Yeah. So what, what's a little bit confusing is if you talk to the scouting community is they've kind of moved away from, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Um, they kind of have moved away from, uh, this designation of, oh, this player is a 4-3 defensive end and this other player is a 3-4 outside linebacker because there's so much overlap and there's so many guys that can do both. And so they they've they just describe that group of people as an edge rusher. And so you end up with guys that uh, 
go all the way from you know smaller, quick guys like an Alden Smith type, um, all the way to Michael Bennett, uh, and that whole range being classified as an edge rusher. Now, it, specifically to Seattle, uh, what you see with the Sam linebacker the, or the strong side linebacker, this is the Bruce Irvin role, uh, is it really comes to come? It really shows up the difference on running plays because. The way Seattle runs their defense is they shift the line in one direction um, off center and they shift the linebackers a little bit to the other. And that sets up one of the defensive ends. Currently, it's Cliff Averill, whose job is to set the edge on uh, one side. And the strong side linebacker sets the edge on the other side. And by setting the edge, what we mean is their job is to keep the running back from getting outside and around the corner. Right. Uh, you know, force them to either run a very long, loopy route to the sidelines, which is will be too slow and the pursuit will get there, or to cut it back uh, more towards the middle where, they, where there's help. And so, so con- total containment. Yep, and, that, and that's what what they, we mean by setting the edge. And so for. Uh, for a strong side linebacker, you need a guy who is big enough, um, you know, in that, that 248, 255 range that can get up and take on uh, a lead blocker, whether it's a pulling guard or a tackle that gets away cleanly or a fullback tight end, someone who's big enough to take on that lead blocker and hold their ground. And so that's part of the reason why guys like... Um, Kevin Pierre-Lewis hasn't done well there is because he's such a smaller uh, linebacker. He's got a lot of skills and a lot of talent, but he doesn't set the edge well because he just he doesn't have that bulk and that size to anchor out there. And right. so they need a bigger guy who can do that, but then you also need someone who on a passing down can cover a tight end or a running back out of the backfield um, and or come up and rush the passer. Uh, so you and need I, someone who was a kind of a jack of all trades and can do a lot of things, and that's not an easy position to fill. Well, and and that's certainly right. And we've, I've, my opinion, I think we've been missing that on the defense. Um, seems to be one of those things that has worked well for us in the past, and when we don't have it, it does make the difference to me. And that's why I had it as number two. Yeah, and um, I have that as my my number three. Um, on my, my party list. And it's a little weird to put it that high because the CX only play with in their base defense with the Sam linebacker on there about 30% of the time. Did and they probably, play 30% of the time when Irvin was here though? No, they play. It was more 40 to 45. But so, then you ask yourself, did that shift happen because they lost Irvin or did that, did they let Irvin walk because they saw that go, the nickel is the new base becoming the, the norm le- league-wide, and we don't know the answer to that. The fact that they let Irvin walk and didn't replace him, uh, didn't even make an attempt to replace him, makes me think that it was probably more of they knew they were going to go to where they're playing nickel a lot, but yeah, I'm not honestly, sure. we don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure about that because I think Pete is just a, as an excellent coach. And I believe that he plays the hand that he's dealt, you know, and if you, if you can't replace a player because he's become too good, he's going to out, uh, his contract's going to not be attainable, uh, for the team. You've got to find a way to, to work it out. And I think that was the workout for Seattle as they put it another corner on the field. Yeah, and and this is something that we'll see this year, uh, because there are a number of guys who have the skill set uh, to you know to rush the passer, to cover, and to set the edge, and have the size you know to, to be successful in that, uh, and the athleticism that, that Seattle covets. There there are there is a group of of those players that'll probably all come out in the late uh, round two area, guys that we talked about last week. Uh, Bowser and Rivers are a couple of players. Uh, there's also guys like um, T.J. Watt, although I expect him to go earlier just because of the Watt name. Uh, but there, there are there is a group of, of players that really fit what Seattle wants in that position. So we'll see what the team does. Um, on my third uh, spot, I had offensive line depth, and we've kind of covered that a little bit. So I'm going to pass mm-hmm. that over. Who do uh, we have in the number four need? 
So for me, the the fourth need was a pass rushing defensive tackle, and this is a little hard to place as a priority because we're talking about a rotational player. They won't start like ever because the, you know the Seahawks will start with their their bigger run stuffers in there um, for for first and second down. But it's a so it's a player with with limited rotational value, but that we're going to see that the team really just needs. They haven't had a guy who can collapse the pocket from the middle since Clinton McDonald left. And uh, I really just want to see them get a guy like that. I think the team has been looking for that player now for some time. And so, you know, I I really agree because, you know, there were many times last year in the last couple of years, actually, where um, I really wanted to have that guy on the field in key passing down situations and we just didn't have it a guy that can push that pocket back and disrupt that middle so that you can disrupt the timing of pass plays uh against our defense which is key for our back end because you know sherman and thomas and chancellor and and some of those other guys lane and uh shed you know those guys can only hold up for so long on pass downs and if we don't get any pass rush uh, you know, nine out of 10 quarterbacks in the NFL are going to be able to complete those throws. And in, if you've got a disruptive force in the middle, which we have clearly lacked for a couple of years now on a consistent basis, um, it really shows up on your defense. And I think that's part of the reason why our defense seems like it's not quite as disruptive, as um, temperamental, aggressive, um, it just feels a little different when you don't have that. Yeah, and you look at our defensive ends. I mean, the Seahawks have a pair of um, the best defensive ends in the NFL with Cliff Averill and, and Michael Bennett uh, coming off the edge. And when one of them comes off the field, you bring in Frank Clark. And so you've actually got a trio of guys that can get after it from the edge. But what we saw last year was quarterbacks would you know drop back to throw and then step up into the middle and... And basically the the defensive tackles were able to just push our defensive ends past the quarterback and around. And it just made it too easy on the quarterbacks and the defensive ends because the quarterback could just step up into the middle because there was no pass rush coming up. Uh, and they just really need to fix that. And that's why right. I put, put this spot It's you know as as one of the team's top priorities. Well, and I think, too, they, they just recently had a visit uh, from Malik McDowell, defensive tackle from Michigan State. It's kind of a malign player in the draft. Not sure exactly where he's going to go, if he can squeak into the first round, or he might be a middle-of-the-second-round guy, but he's got top 15 talent when he's, um, when he's going. Very disruptive kind of uh, three-tech defensive tackle that's going to be able to rush from the, from the middle. And it, I think it shows that they understand that they'd like to find a player if if he's there. They're checking him out. Not sure how serious it is, but they they brought a guy like that in. So it tells me that they're they're at least looking. Yeah, and then the other thing that we have to look at is that the the CX actually had a pair of players on uh, the roster last year. And both of them got hurt. So uh, Quentin Jefferson, a guy they drafted, who I, like I think I, I like him when he's on the field and healthy. He looks disruptive. He looks very good, but he didn't last. He got hurt fairly quickly in the year and and, and spent most of the entire year on uh, injured reserve. And, you know, it, we can like a guy all we want, but if he can't stay healthy and I don't want to write him off and say, oh, he's just an injury risk, cut him or anything like crazy like that. But until a guy proves that he can get on the field and stay on the field, you can't count on him. So he's there. He'll, this will be a, an opportunity for him to prove that. But if he doesn't, you got to have a backup. And uh, the backup plan last year was Garrison Smith, uh, who is a guy they brought in. Everyone's uh, going, who? <laughs> yeah. He, he's a guy that they, they claimed off waivers from San Francisco, of all places, um, and brought him in. And he was the guy who was supposed to replace Quentin Jefferson in that role. And he also landed on injured reserve. And um, so then the Se- after that, the Seahawks just weren't able to get find a guy that could fill that role and, and be that inside pass rusher. So they have both of those guys there. They hope one of them can take that step and, you know, prove to be productive and stay on the field. And if they can't, they're going to need another, they're going to need another player. Which position group did you have uh, as the last priority group? Um, I put safety, which I know is a little weird because, you you know, the Seahawks have 
probably the best uh, pair of starting safeties in the NFL um, with Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor. I mean, well, we are... saw what happened last year when Thomas when went we'll... out. Yeah. And, and, and Chancellor's been out. Yeah. And so they they have this great group. And then they also signed uh, McDougal to be the backup, uh, especially at you know free safety. And basically like he's going to be in the... He's going to be in the in the Kelsey McCray role where he kind of can do both. Although where McCray was more of a strong safety than a free safety, McDougal is more of a free safety than a strong safety. But he's going to be in that role. So it's a little weird to put safety on this list of priorities. But we saw last year what happened when Earl Thomas went out. They need someone who can who can provide some depth for the defense, help on special teams, uh, and possibly even. You know, look to the future for Cam Chancellor, who's entering his contract year and has had trouble staying healthy the last two seasons. That's right. And Madugal's only signed for one year. Yes. Um, and so we, you know, I'm sure they're going to be looking for a longer term rookie contract uh, solution at that position, both positions, actually. I mean, Thomas, uh, as great as he is and literally irreplaceable, um, but you do need to have somebody eventually that's going to be 90% of Earl Thomas and, yeah. and, uh, and Stephen Terrell was not that he was right. like 60% of Earl Thomas at best. And I, and I think the quicker that they find that, um, mm -hmm. the better because they can bring him into our system, have him learn from the best of the best and be ready to go in one or two years. Yeah. So, um, a name to keep an eye on, and I know that's supposed to be next week's show, but, um, Yukon safety, Obi Minifanu. Um, the Seahawks have met with him four times during the draft process. They met with him um, at the Senior Bowl. They met with him at the Combine. They met with him individually at the Pro Day. And then they brought him in for an individual workout in Seattle. Usually a, a team, because there's only there's a limited window of time to meet with you know 300 players, they'll, they'll meet with a player once. The Seahawks met with him four times. Um, you know, this is a guy with just off the charts, athletic numbers, speeds, you know, uh, agility, everything. He's also kind of a cross between both of Seattle's uh, safeties. He's got the, he's got tremendous speed, like Earl yeah, Thomas. Yeah, he's just a he's, physical freak. But he's big too. I mean, he's, uh, I mean, he's like 99 percentile on the spark oh, charts yeah. I, and I just, uh, he I would think, be a, a tremendous get. He's, he would be like one of those guys you can just put on the field and he's going to make plays just from his speed and athleticism alone. Yeah. And that's, and, and that's, so it gives you an idea a little bit that the Seahawks view this position as one of need and one that they need to think about and think about long-term. So the fact that they're, they're working with a guy that's probably going to be a first round pick or early round two, and they're work, they're spending that much time getting to know him and really scouting him, I think is, is kind of an important window into what they're thinking. I think that um, there are other positions of need that the Seahawks have, but they're not quite as, as strong as the, as the ones I think that we mentioned. Tight end, wide receiver, running back, even uh, quarterback, we possibly look at that. Return specialist, kicker. I mean, the whole team kind of needs an infusion of talent. Let's talk about tight ends real quick. They did sign uh, Wilson back for a one-year deal, so our trio of tight ends is set for this season. But moving forward beyond this season, there are really uh, a lot of question marks. Yeah, because uh, Jimmy Graham is entering the final year of his contract. Uh, Luke Wilson, they were willing to let walk. And when he went out to the market, found that he didn't have a market, uh, came back to Seattle. Um, so they were willing to let him go. And so that leaves last year's uh, draft pick, Nick Vanette, who who was on the roster, played a little bit, but was hurt all, you know, hurt at the beginning of the year. And they really wanted him to be the blocking tight end, but he never really learned um, proper targeting and, you know, alignment so we don't really know what we don't really, so we don't really know really, what we have. Mm -mm, we really don't. I mean, this is a guy with uh, tons of athletic, you know, and like Brandon skills and, and Brandon Williams left in free agency. Yes, he did. Which I really liked him actually, but mm -hmm. they apparently didn't want to hold on to him for the contract that he got. Yeah, I mean, he was he was there to be the the fourth tight end, you know, the the guy that they could um, stick in whatever role if somebody got hurt. So when Vanette got hurt, Williams made the roster um, as the blocker, and then when 
uh, Wilson got hurt. Williams got more snaps. And then, you know, it, it was just basically they, they kind of just stuck him in uh, to the rotation where he was needed. He's, you know, a pretty good player and, and just someone that it, his impact didn't necessarily show up on the stat sheet, but he played pretty well. So it was kind of sad to see him go. Um, a guy that I know that fans are probably going to hate this, but the Seahawks worked out recently um, another basketball player. And it's Mo Ali Cox, and a guy who's never played football, but has athleticism like just you know coming out of his ears. But unlike George Fant, who's a bigger guy who you know is a tackle, uh, Cox is a guy who looks like he's going to be a tight end. He's like two sixty five and can really run, just really athletic. So and it's a guy Seahawks, that you could stash. Yeah, and so the Seahawks um, worked him out. They're able to sign him. He's not actually part of the draft because of. I don't know the way the rules work with players that weren't um, playing football because he wasn't actually on a, coll- a collegiate roster. So, so similar a, to Cyril Grayson that they just yeah. picked up the track guy. Yep. So there's there's a chance that the Seahawks could add him. And like I said, it would be very similar to when the Seahawks added Fant a year ago. Uh, and so it would be a guy they just bring in and then see if he can make the transition, see if he can figure it out. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him sign um, – really soon like before the draft because they want basically they'll want him under contract before the draft because once the draft happens um when the undrafted free agency period hits other teams are going to be looking for talent and he's and so they'll i think they'll want to grab him before the that undrafted period starts so last week in the mocks i i picked up a tight end jake butt um who we would probably have to redshirt if we did pick him up. But there's a guy, again, as a a guy, not for this year, but for next year that could come in with uh, first-round talent uh, that we could get probably in the third round with one of our third-round picks. Um, other than that, I, I still wouldn't be surprised if Seattle spent a, one of the picks in the first three rounds on a tight end if, if there's a guy there that they really like. Um, but again, I wouldn't be surprised if they went out of the draft uh, without having anybody at all, and maybe I, a couple of free agent guys at the end. I really liked that pick when you made it because because of the fact that they've got two of their three tight ends are on the final year of their contract, and you're getting a guy who, with the talent to be a starter, um, who is going to drop and not play at least the first half of the year because of an injury, but once healthy. He goes back to being a guy good enough to be a late first round pick, uh, starting caliber tight end. So I really, when you did that pick in, in our draft episode, I really liked it, and I think it would be a it would be a great fit because the way that Seattle's roster is with all of these expiring contracts at the position, it just really fits for them to grab a guy like that. Keith, what do you think the chances are of them bringing Jimmy Graham back on a another uh, three to four year deal, um, and what what price would would it take to get him? I actually think it, it, it the price issue is is, is the one. Um, I think that because of the injury and because of the, the the way that the team worked him back, and you know he didn't practice last year, um, the team was willing to you know just really go at his pace and do that kind of stuff. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, take a contract where he. He takes a pay cut of like a million dollars a year, but it's still going to be a pricey contract. We're still talking, you know, seven, eight million a year. Um, and that money's for, already for that. allocated, so it's not like it would be new money we'd have to find. It would just be a continuation of money we're already spending. Yeah, and if they can if they can figure out a way to do it where his his cap number comes down a little, like maybe what it is is you, uh, you know, put a bunch of it into a, into the signing bonus, so that kicks it out to years two and three, so that way he can they can they can keep him cheaper. And you know, let him stay for let's say you know this coming year two more, and then he gets in a situation where he either has to be really dominating again, like he did in the Saints, or, or they'd cut him for cap reasons. What do you but think would... the chances of him really dominating this year are? I understand that he's now working out uh, quite a bit with Russell Wilson. He wasn't able to last year. You want those guys to kind of be in sync, obviously. We completely underutilized him in the red zone last year. I think he only had two touchdowns. The guys actually had, uh, you know, more than ten touchdowns a couple of different times in a season. Um, talk to, talk to me about that. Well, I I think he can dominate, and I think he he should. Uh, one of the problems that the Seahawks had last year 
as far as getting Graham the, the ball in the end zone is simply that the way Seattle's offense work, and especially the way Russell Wilson works, is that he takes what the defense gives him. He's not, never going to force the ball to a player. And teams took away Graham. They put two guys on him. They double teamed him. They left uh, Jermaine Curse open um, or at least one-on-one with one of the lesser cornerbacks. So Wilson went to Curse a lot over and over and over again in the red zone. And it never worked because, well, we'll leave that for another show. Uh, But so Wilson's got to get to a point where he trusts Jimmy Graham more and he can just throw it up and let him go get it. Uh, And if, when they get to that level, I think he'll, he'll, we'll see Graham have a really good statistical year. The other part of it is that, if the Seahawks don't improve their offensive line, it makes it really hard for guys like Jimmy Graham to statistically stand out because, you know, where is Graham, where is Jimmy Graham best working down the center of the field, you know, uh, 15, 20 yards downfield where he can get past the linebackers in between the safeties. You know, that's, that's kind of where you get uh, the most uh, bang for your buck out of a player like that. Well, when you look at, uh, Seattle's offense, Wilson never had time to let Jimmy Graham get that far down the field. He was running for his life. And once you get into the sc- scramble drill, you know, there are other players that are going to be better at finding zones or getting deep and stretching the defense in the scramble drill, guys like Tyler Lockett and, and uh, Paul Richardson. So it just never worked out where the Seahawks were able to take advantage of where Jimmy Graham really dominates. And I think that's why a lot of Seahawks fans have a hard time justifying paying $10 million for a tight end that is not going to be used uh, up to his full potential. Even if he's capable, our offense just doesn't utilize that spot as, as much as some other offenses do. Yeah. And I, but I, I think that if you had a, I agree. agree. If you had, if you had an offensive line that could actually block and Wilson could, you know, you know, take that five-step drop, hit his back foot, and yeah. and throw to to Jimmy Graham open. Um, I I, he, I think he would have just an amazing statistical year. But when he's Wilson gets five yards back into his drop, and then is automatically cutting and running out of the pocket, it just doesn't work. And and that'll be really important this year to find out if Jimmy Graham stays or goes. Because if we can't do that, I would imagine Jimmy may take a look at free agency because. He wants to uh, use his talents to the best of his ability. He wants to make the, the largest paycheck he can. I think he understands that there are teams out there that will uh, better utilize him. And, you know, if he gets if he t- gets to free agency before an extension, I think he might be gone. Yeah, and I, I think so too. And hopefully the Seahawks would turn around and use that $10 million a year and invest it in an offensive tackle who can actually block. <laughs> But that's, I knew that was coming. That's a topic for another show. So, so we had uh, a few more um, position groups. If you want to talk about them, wide receiver, running back depth, quarterback depth. What do you got? What do well, you think? With, with wide receiver, you look at Tyler Lockett's coming back from his injury, and the the team just needs to continue to add talent to the group. They've actually, with uh, Richardson, uh, Doug Baldwin, Tyler Lockett, uh, some of the you know younger guys they, they've boy. got kind of in they the mix, like. yep. Um, and then you also kind of count Jimmy Graham in there a little bit because he'll play in the slot. Um, they've got they've actually got a lot of talent on the outside, but what they have to do is they need to increase the depth a little bit. They need to continue to in, infuse talent slowly into the position group and develop guys. Uh, they need to find a way, if they can possibly, to replace Jermaine Curse and, and get a guy with a little bit more explosiveness and a little bit more uh, ability to consistently get open and produce. So I think that it's one of those things they'll look at in the fourth round, fifth round, if they can get draft picks in that range, because they don't currently have any in the fourth and fifth round, but they'll look at someone in there, someone with some upside. Uh, and, and I just think it's one of those positions where you just kind of every year you kind of have to look at, try and get, an, right. try and get a guy. Um, but it's not something you have to like go out and attack because the CX have Lockett and they have Richardson and they have Baldwin. So they've right. got that top end talent. The only, the only question mark for me is uh, will Paul Richardson continue to improve and emerge 
as a key component to the offense? And if so, what do you do with his contract? Because I think he's up, um, if not this next year, following year. He was injured his first year, injured his second year. I think last year was his third year, so this might be his fourth year, right? Um, yes. So that's where he's going into his fourth year. Because uh, you're right, because his first year he, he tore his uh, his knee at the end of the year, missed most of his second year, and then came Had back to... a hamstring, to, right? Came, and then, yeah, and then hurt his hamstring. So he actually missed all of the 2015 season. And then uh, this last year he... I mean, he was there. He was a minor contributor until Lockett right. went out, That's and then right. he stepped up. Then he stepped up in a huge way after Lockett got hurt and was just a huge playmaker for them. So, right. yeah, we'll see. I mean, he's going into his fourth year. He's going into his contract year, and you got to see what what he can give you. And if he plays well, I think you can sign him. I don't think he's going to be particularly expensive to keep. Um, probably something in, you know the like less than what Baldwin's making um, a little bit more than what Jermaine curse is making. But I'd take, I, if, if keeping Richardson means cutting curse, I'd do that yes. pretty much every day. So I'm not I, sure I, how I, the team feels about that, but yeah, yeah, we'll see. But so, so there's that. I mean, I just, I think that they're in a situation where, well, then, then ask you this, what happens if, if Richardson gets hurt again? Yeah, that's, that's, You've got to have somebody. I think they do emerge. You know, they've got a couple of guys on the practice squad that seem like they've been on the practice squad for like 10 years, you know, in Kassan Williams and Smith. And there's a couple other guys on there. It's like, are those guys, you know, never going to emerge off that practice squad? So, I mean, those guys are sitting there. They know the offense. Um, in a pinch, you could definitely bring those guys up. Um, I, it seems to me that we're going to emerge from the draft with at least one right receiver. I just don't know if it's early. I don't think that they'll spend an early pick on a, on a wide receiver. It really depends on if somebody falls to them and they just can't ignore it. Um, otherwise I see a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round guy come in and compete, maybe catch on as the fifth wide receiver, compete with McElvoy for that spot, see who emerges. Then you've got somebody in the wings on the practice squad again, that if Paul Richardson does fall down, you've got somebody that you could at least bring off the practice squad. And then, you know, next year, you you really take a hard look at that group again. Yep, agreed. How about running uh, back group? I have a hard time seeing the Seahawks doing too much at running back because they got Eddie Lacy. Um, so they, they, they had But the, it's only the, a one-year deal. True, but they had the, they have their, their their three their trio of youngsters um, that were on the team last year with, with Procise Rawls and um, Alex Collins. All three are good. They're talented. There's a lot to like about all of them. Two of them have injury problems. Um, it's so one of they're... the position groups, I think, that's almost the easiest position group to find a guy that's capable of at least giving you touches throughout the year in, in yeah. the draft, like rounds three through five. Yeah, so they so they have, um, they have those three guys. They went and added... Um, Eddie Lacy to be, you know, kind of the veteran in the group, because that's one of the things that the CX talked about is that they got too young at the position. They didn't have the veteran in the meeting room. People, fans don't seem, don't seem to realize that when they, when we talk about having a veteran at, at a position group, it's not really on the practice field where it matters. It's in the meeting rooms. It's in the film room. It's, you know, those are the situations where you need that guy. And they, and they didn't have it last year. They didn't have anyone to provide leadership uh, at the running back position, except for Christine Michael, which having Christine Michael as a leader is, you know, problematic. So they that, that's why they went and got Eddie Lacy, even though they had a trio of really talented guys. And this is a draft with a lot of running back talent. There are guys that are going to be available in the fourth. Yeah, fifth they, round. they may not. They may not be able to pass pass certain guys up. Yeah, because there's like I said, there's guys that are going to be available in the fourth or fifth round that normally you'd have to use a second or third round pick for because there's so many good uh, running backs. Um, and at some point, they may look at a guy and they're like, "Wow, we've really had this guy rated high, and here we are sitting in the middle of the fifth round, and he's still there. Let's go get him." Right. Uh, and so then, then what do you do? Uh, come training camp and roster decisions, and it makes for you know, one of those difficult decisions, but 
on draft day, how do you say no to a, a third round talent in the fifth, right? It seems like last year we threw a bunch of uh, guys at that position, and luckily we did, just given mm-hmm. the, the injury situation that we had last year. And there's, uh, you know, there's still question marks about if Rawls can make it through an entire season. I would love to see Rawls go an entire season because I, I think he's a 1,200-yard uh, guy, dynamic kind of uh, a personality for the offense. And if when he's on the field, he does make a difference. So we'll see what happens. How about, like, QB depth? What's okay. what's going on with Boykin? Are you comfortable going into the year with him? Or do you what, think that we need to do something different there? I, And then we need to wrap a, it up. Yep. This is a hard situation for me because I don't know how things stand legally for him. Because I know he had – he got a – he had the legal incident and then he got arrested a second time because it was the first one was deemed to be a parole violation. And so we don't kind of know where those things stand yet. We don't know if there's going to be a suspension coming or any of that stuff. If, if we knew I mean, he, that was he was a, he was a passenger. I mean, true. he did make the right decision. He didn't get behind the wheel. He, no. he made a, he made a poor decision in picking the wrong person to hang out with that night. But true. But the, the presence of, Drugs and alcohol, I think, were the violation of. Oh, control. come on, Keith, lighten up. <laughs> hey, I, whatever. You, um, live I'm and just, let live, right? I, I am just looking at it from a roster standpoint. Is sure. the league is right? Is, right. is Roger gonna, Goodell going to suspend him? Uh, you no, know what? Does I don't Roger think Goodell so. know what he's going to do because he seems to do things randomly and just, you know. I think the line. I think the line with Goodell on that situation would be if he was driving. If he if he's yeah. a passenger, you know, and I think that's the line also in the in the justice system. It seems to me that that he was arrested more of a technical issue. They had to arrest him. I think that I don't believe that he's going to serve jail time because he was a passenger in a, in that situation. Um, I think that um, I, I, he may end up paying a fine or just walking away um, in, in that with time served or whatever. But um, that's my opinion. I think, you know, so far it's telling that the Seahawks have stood, stood by him. Yeah, I, I think so too. And if if it works out that way, I think the Seahawks don't address quarterback this year except for to sign a Jake Heaps They style. need an arm. A camp body. Yeah, they need a guy to come in and do, you know, there's a lot of reps during training camp for all the receivers and all the running backs and all the tight ends. You can't just ask the two guys uh, to throw all those balls, you know, during practice. So they need it. They need a camp body and they'll go get one if they think they're that Boykin's legal issues might be a little bit more pressing then they will. They'll actually go find a guy that that can replace him if need be. But I, I, I just, at this point, I don't see it. I think they run with Boykin again. He did what they needed to last year. So I had two more spots that they might look at in the draft, but if they don't, it wouldn't surprise me. That would be somebody that can actually uh, do returns uh, this year. Uh, I don't know how they feel about Lockett continuing to be their guy, considering his injury from last year. I don't know how comfortable Lockett would be uh, being the guy that's the kamikaze guy running down the field carrying the ball so uh, and and that's more of a, a mental issue with him that we just don't know at this point and they may try to address that a little bit in the draft with picking a wide receiver or picking a corner that also has return ability maybe their running back has that uh, sort of specialty um, and the other thing would be a kicker to compete with Blair Walsh in in camp um, I'm not sure if they would spend a draft pick on a on a kicker but they might get one of the top three or four kickers uh, in this season's crop to come in as a priority free agent to compete just so that Blair Walsh has to beat top tier talent to make the team. And I, and so I, I think that you would probably agree with that. So there's no reason to, to continue with that. And I think that pretty much kind of wraps up kind of the team needs mm-hmm. um, issue for us in this mock we have, or not the mock, but uh, in this draft, um, and next week we're going to talk about, um, specific type of players that, uh, Seattle looks at in the draft, uh, who would be available. Um, we'll try to go into depth on a couple dozen players 
so that we can uh, have an idea um, on on the eve of the draft of who to look for. Um, I had one mailbag question this week, Keith, and it was actually from my dad. He sent me an email, and he said, "I want I want this question answered." So, hi, Dad. Um, he says, I hope the Hawks can come up with a potential offensive line starter in this year's draft, as it seems those who have signed this free agency period are just placeholders. Are they placeholders? Or do you see a long-term starter in either Jokel or Abushi emerging in 2018 and beyond? Um, if one of them is going to emerge, it's going to be Abushi. Um, that's not a slight on Jokel. It is just a recogni- recognition of um, that Abushi, if he does well, is going to be resignable at a reasonable contract. And I could totally see him becoming the long-term answer at right guard and with Ifedi moving outside. And so the Seahawks would have uh, that kind of lined up and I could see that working. What was he For- really good at in, in Houston, Keith? What is he known for? Is he better a pass blocker? Or is he a better uh, guy that can get to the second level, kind of in a in a zone blocking scheme type of guy? So Houston runs a zone blocking system, and he was a pass blocker, which is a little weird because he he wasn't a great he wasn't great at getting to the second level. He, he's not he wasn't great at blocking in space. There's some technique issues um, there. But he has quick feet and has athleticism. So he was actually pretty good at pass blocking uh, in that spot and knows the offense well enough to do the, some of the things that needs to need to be done in the running game. I think it's so going to stabilize that spot on the right side with a Fetty. Because when you really took a look at Gilliam over there next to a Fetty, that, that side of the line for at least three quarters of the season was a hot mess. At least yeah, I was. think this situation settles that down a little bit. Um, Fetty's got a year under his belt. Yeah, he's moving to a new position, but he's familiar with that position. He's familiar with the right side and, the, and what the Seahawks want to do there. Abushi comes in with, the, with his own blocking team experience. And I think that tandem is actually really improved this year. Yeah, I like it. And um, the other part of that question is, will Jokel be a long-term solution? And the answer is no, because he either won't play well and they won't want him, or he will play well and he'll price himself out of what Seattle's willing to afford uh, for an offensive lineman. So, Yeah, I agree. I, I, I just don't see that being a long-term solution. He's a placeholder. He's there to wait for Fant or, if not Fant, someone else. And And Seattle has actually come out and said that. Mm-hmm. They've they've said, hey, Fant could use a year of uh, of schooling behind a veteran presence, and that's why they went out and got him, and that's why they gave him a one year deal, and that's why uh, the best case scenario this year for Fant is to actually not play and sit back, watch, practice, study, um, come in and, occasionally to yep, and you know, learn and learn, and I think going forward that gives him the best chance to be successful, as opposed to putting him into situations where he's going to be set up to fail. Yep. So uh, that's it for this week's show. Hope awesome. you guys enjoy. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Next week is the uh, the eve of the draft podcast. Again, we're talking about specific players that the Seahawks will be looking at. Uh, scheme fit guys, guys that have uh, you know you're going to see a lot of athletic guys on our our, our list. Um, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get them, but it means they'll at least be looking at them. So thanks, Keith. Follow us on Twitter. I am at NW Seahawk, Northwest Seahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. Our podcast is at Hawks Playbook. You can find us on 12thmanrising.com, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, subscribe uh, uh, to the podcast and listen to it whenever you want on any one of your podcast players that you guys might use. So thanks again, and we'll see you next week, Keith. Yep, thanks for listening, everyone. The Hawks Playbook Podcast is brought to you by the Fan Sighted Network and 12thmanrising.com. Find our podcast on the website or subscribe on iTunes. You can find both Bill and Keith on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk and Keith is at Myers NFL. 